listening to The Martial Brain, the podcast that explores the intersection between the martial arts, science, critical thinking, skepticism, and that wacky organ that floats inside our skulls in a pool of cerebral spinal fluid, making life unpredictably inspiring, infuriating, and sometimes just batshit crazy. I'm Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. The Forgotten War, the Philippines, the USA, War, Colonialism, and the Martial Arts. Part 9. By June of 1900, the war between the United States and the Philippines had lasted longer than the Spanish-American War. When the American military had been first planning action in the Philippines, they were thinking about fighting European soldiers that were there to put down a native rebellion. The arrogance and racism that was rampant in the U.S. figuratively blinded them to the fact that the Filipinos were far more dangerous in their own way than the Spaniards could possibly be. They were fighting on their home ground, and there were lots of them. The Americans tended to equate the Filipino insurrectos with Native Americans that they had recently fought, who had also been fighting on their home ground. But Native American population levels had never come close to returning to the levels they had once been, since 90% of them had died of novel European diseases within a hundred years of the landing of Columbus. Their fighters were tough, but they were few, nowhere near the numbers necessary to stand up to a modern industrial war machine. Then there was the climate and environment of the Philippines. Rainforest. Much of the fighting took place in rugged mountains, covered in rainforest. And the lessons that the Americans learned in Cuba had been too brief and not sufficiently painful to truly educate the American generals and president that their troops still needed practical experience at fighting in a tropical setting. A lesson they would have to relearn 60 years later in Vietnam. Now the American regular troops were good especially the Buffalo Soldiers. There were also volunteer units sent that varied widely in quality, although a few were quite good as well. But at first, the American forces numbered only about 12,000. There were 7 million Filipinos, many of whom were quite at home in the jungle, and their military forces were pretty well led. Their leadership had had the finest of European educations. And ironically, their role models were the instigators of the American Revolution and the founding fathers of modern democracy, who had defied the might of the British Empire, which at the time of the American Revolution was the strongest on earth. Let me give you a little context about that. It is not an exaggeration to say that in the 1700s, if you were to gather all of the military navies of the world into one big navy, excluding the British one, the remaining British Royal Navy was bigger and better than this international armada. Britannia did indeed rule the waves. At that time, if you wanted to transport yourself or your property anywhere by sea, it was really bad policy to piss off the United Kingdom of Great Britain. The British tended to keep their army relatively small, but very well trained and professional to a high standard. More importantly, 
because of their naval superiority, they could take that small but badass army anywhere on Earth with almost no resistance. They could choke off trade and occupy all of the American ports with impunity. Despite all that, the American rebels stood up to the greatest global power in history. Now, history had flipped on its head, and America was the empire trying to impose its will on the cheap and across an ocean. Were the Filipino insurrectos any less righteous, less noble in their cause than had been the Americans? A lesson from the American Revolution is that there's power in fighting to defend your home soil. Think about the difference between how you would fight in a public scuffle compared to how you would fight against a home invasion. Now the Filipinos were defending their home and their right to self-determination. But the army of the First Philippine Republic, although filled with valiant warfighters, was extremely poorly equipped for modern set-piece warfare, and there was little industrial base in the island nation to offer any hope that this might change anytime soon. Fortunately for the insurrectos, the rainy season had slowed American progress, reducing all the roads to mud. Campaigning for any distance from the American headquarters in Manila was at best extremely difficult. In addition, more than half of the American forces were either in the hospital or confined to barracks while sick from malaria, cholera, and dysentery. The area truly controlled by American forces was limited to within 40 miles of Manila, at least until what passed for autumn arrived in the tropics. While the Filipinos might be happy that the American campaign had ground to a halt, all was not sunshine and unicorns in their ranks either. There had long been factions within the resistance that disliked or even openly despised each other. Some of it was ethnic in origin, literally tribal. The people of the Tagalog-language-speaking areas often disliked the Ilocano or Visayan-speaking people, and vice versa, and almost no one in the Christian North and Central Philippines liked the Muslim people of the South, referring to them with the Spanish racial slur, Moros. Now, Spain had a long, bloody history with Islam. The Berber general, Tariq ibn Ziyad, invaded the lands that would one day become Spain way back in the year 711 of the Common Era. Most of Spain would be dominated by Muslim rulers for centuries after that. The Spanish eventually referred to the Muslims as Moros, a term derived from the ancient Roman North African province of Mauritania, and which our English forebears pronounced Moors. Shakespeare wrote a play entitled Othello, whose title character was a Moor. Eventually, the Spanish and Portuguese fought their way south, slowly taking back the Iberian Peninsula in what they called the Reconquista, the Reconquest, which was completed after more than seven centuries in the year 1492. Yep, that 1492. With the war against the Muslims paused if not completed, the Spanish crown suddenly had money to spend on luxuries, like exploration. So Christopher Columbus finally got the ships and money he had sought for so many years. And, as they say, the rest is history. Two decades after Columbus's exploits, a Portuguese captain sailing for the Spanish named Ferdinand Magellan made his way most of the way around the world, only to be killed in the Philippines by a chieftain named Lapu-Lapu, 
but not before he had claimed the islands for Spain. In future decades, the Spanish returned to the islands with occupation troops, Catholic missionaries, and trading ships. As they continued to consolidate their conquest, they discovered something of a geographic and historic irony. While the northern part of the archipelago followed various polytheistic faiths, the central and southern Philippines were mostly Muslim. Now, I want you to think hard about this quirky coincidence of history. For about eight centuries, the Iberian Peninsula had been the setting for repeated warfare. That's about 35 generations of military violence. You've got to wonder what that does to a culture. Most of the time, the violence was strictly between Christendom and Islam. But there was some armed struggle with mixed Christian-Muslim armies on each side, which should tell you something. People back then were just like people now. Blood feud and dynastic rivalry among factions of Muslims were not infrequent, and of course the Christians, being human as well, also liked to kill each other almost as much as they liked killing the infidel. So there were plenty of battles in which Christians, who had killed lots of Muslims in their military careers, joined forces with some Muslims, about whom you could say the same thing in reverse, simply because they had a common enemy. More than once, both armies were constituted thus. But no matter how you shuffle the cards for the starting lineup of a given war or battle, there had been war somewhere on the peninsula continuously for a tad under 800 years. Like I said, think about how that would shape a culture. Not only is war with Islam part of its history, it effectively is its history, its defining reason for existence. Then, after all these centuries of violence, they finally defeated and destroyed the last Muslim kingdom in Spain. This freed up resources for other things, like exploring the world. So explorers were sent, along with soldiers steeped in this military tradition, into the great unknown. First to two brand new continents, and then beyond to an ocean 10,000 miles wide that Europe hadn't even known existed. And what did they find after crossing those 10,000 miles? Hostile Muslims. You've got to wonder if they didn't feel just a little bit snake-bit. Our quirky human brains are already wired for xenophobia, a fear and even hatred of any other human that is not one of our own, but rather is a stranger. Eight centuries of warfare just might magnify the emotional effects of this instinct and grow it into a deep, abiding, cultural race hatred. Now, I don't know the mind of every Spanish or Portuguese explorer, conquistador, or missionary priest, but history tells us that the culture of these Christian Iberian kingdoms at the end of the Reconquista could certainly not be referred to as Islamophilic. That's fans of Islam for those of you who don't grok Greek. So imagine being culturally conditioned to hate a group of people for untold generations, then finally driving them out of your ancient homeland, and then encountering them again on the other side of the friggin' planet. Our quirky human brains are drawn to the trap of forming and believing in conspiracy theories. I wonder how the quirky human brains of the Spaniards dealt with this coincidence of history. Ah, the circle of life. Anyway, over the years, the Spanish succeeded in converting the north and central regions, bringing to the Filipino people their version of Western culture. 
the Catholic Church, and a profound hatred of Islam. They never quite had the same success in the southern part of the islands, though. To this day, the people of the southern Philippines remain mostly, stubbornly Muslim, and religious hatred and bigotry towards them from the Christian north persists to this day. Most of the fighting against the Muslims had been done by Christian Filipinos under the command of Spanish officers. Now the Spanish were gone, but the sectarian hatred between Christian and Muslim remained. There were also class distinctions within the Filipino insurrection. Their leader, Emilio Aguinaldo, a member of the influential Tagalog ethnic group, had strong support from the richest landowners of the islands. Antonio Luna, the fiery, pugnacious commander-in-chief of the military forces of the First Philippine Republic, a man of the ethnic group from the northwest of the Philippines called the Ilocano, identified more with the peasants and the poor, hoping to help reform Filipino society after they threw the Americans out. The prime minister and the brains, if not the brawn, or even the boss, of the insurrectos was Apolinario Mabini, who had been arrested by the Spanish in 1896 at the same time as 13 other famous Filipino rebels. The others were tried and executed by the Spanish crown and were known to Philippine history as the 13 martyrs of Cavite. Following a prejudice common in those days, the Spanish didn't take Mabini seriously because he was what was known in those days as a cripple. He had lost the use of his legs to polio and was perceived as no threat and so was released by the Spaniards. That was a bad move. Mabini's disease-ravaged body housed a massive brain and a gift with the pen. He was, if you will, the Thomas Jefferson of the Philippines' independence movement, or at the very least, James Madison. Virtually all the major documents of the First Philippine Republic, their Declaration of Independence, their Constitution, etc., were authored by him, or at least mostly by him. Now, when I cite Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, that's no accident. As I mentioned earlier, the leaders of the Philippine independence movement were all quite familiar with the American struggle for independence of a century and a quarter before this. They had tremendous admiration for the American founding fathers and the government that they wrought. That's one reason why they were so offended when it was Americans who helped defeat the Spaniards and then turned around and took away Philippine independence. But they were also like the American founding fathers in a negative way. Their independence movement was rife with factionalism. When the majority of the National Assembly voted for peace with the Americans, fiery General Luna arrested most of the Filipino cabinet. Aguinaldo promptly freed them. General Luna was murdered by soldiers loyal to Aguinaldo. It was widely believed that Aguinaldo was behind the killing. He then took over personal command of the military. And we think our politics is screwed up. In any case, by the fall of 1900, traditional set-piece battles between American and Filipino soldiers had become much more rare, and the Filipinos were increasingly using asymmetrical guerrilla tactics, denying the Americans easy chances to inflict mass casualties on them. In this way, the Philippine-American War took on a character very much like the Vietnam War, which was more than six decades in the future. 
And I will continue the story of that war next time. Anyway, that's what I think. But I could be wrong. Let me know what you think and check out old episodes of the Martial Brain podcast at my website, rpmartialarts.com. I'm Jeff Westfall for the Martial Brain. The Martial Brain is produced by Raging Squirrel Productions in association with the Rising Phoenix Martial Arts Academy. If you like the podcast and would like to help it grow, go to iTunes or Stitcher and give it an honest rating and review. Contact me with questions about the Martial Brain or about the Rising Phoenix Academy at my website, rpmartialarts.com.